Between our first and our last breath, our life is a series of seasons. Every high and low is a season that shapes us. How do we forget when the pain is unbearable, when the offender doesn't care, when it feels so unfair? As a girl of 15, I was hit with news that rattled my world. I'm leaving, he said. At the time, I didn't see it coming. Of course, I can look back now and see the signs. An affair which led to divorce, which led to incredible pain, and a teenage girl crying out to her Heavenly Father, why? As the months went by, watching my mother in unbearable pain, watching our perfect family fall apart, I became bitter and angry. He deserved to feel the same pain, so I ignored him. I kept asking God, how? How in the world do I forgive him for all the pain that he's put us through? Over the coming years, the Lord radically grabbed a hold of my mother's heart and was walking her through an incredible journey of forgiveness. She said to me one day, I've forgiven him because I know that in my flesh, I'm capable of the same sin. It was that moment that changed my perspective forever. I could eventually see that he deserved forgiveness, not because he deserved it, but because grace. By the abundant grace of Jesus, given to me and by his power, I am able. Forgiveness is a one-sided choice. Sometimes there is no resolution, and sometimes there are boundaries. But we are called to forgive, even if that means waking up daily and choosing it. Not always because they deserve it, and not through our own strength, but because in my flesh I'm just as guilty. I have received unmerited grace, and in return, Jesus asks us to forgive, no matter the circumstances. As I've grown from a girl of 15 who was angry and so very hurt, I've grown into a woman, a wife and a mother, who now sees the pain that was once invisible to me. I see the pain in my father's eyes of not having purpose, of not being happy, of a longing to have more than just this life. And I forgive him because he knew not and because Jesus is enough. say thank you to my wife, Jessie, for sharing her story. So uh, one of the first houses that I moved into when I moved to Portland was with a guy named Kale, which I thought was pretty fitting uh, for Portland. And uh, he taught me about recycling and things like that. And uh, we actually became really good friends. And he said, uh, he said hey, I want to start a Bible study. Uh, I want you to lead it and I'll get people there. And I said, sweet, let's go. So we got to that first week of the Bible study. And uh, he said, hey man, there's like 15 people coming. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, who are they? Where are they from? And he goes, oh, Craigslist. 
Yeah, to which I was like, please tell me you have a friend named Craig, and he has a list of people that you invited. And so he literally posts on Craigslist. And so like, who comes, like, um, just like, who comes to a Bible study off of Craigslist? Like, like just, just imagine the type of person, and that's who came. Like, that's, that's who the Bible study was with. Um, we had a horse psychologist come. Uh, yep, yes, a horse psychologist. And, uh, and so I was and not what you think. I was asking questions. I was like, so I didn't realize that horses had a deep need for psychology. And they're like, oh, she's like, no, no, that's, that'd be dumb. She's like, the horses are the psychologists for people. I just interpret. And uh, obviously, it's so obvious now, once you explain. Um, there was a gal who, um, she was in this like edgy lesbian uh, punk rock band. And she was like, hey, we're having a concert downtown Portland, do you want to come? Uh, yes, we do. Me and Kale and the, uh, the Jewish rabbi that joined our Bible study from Craigslist, we all went, and we're at this concert just like rocking out, and it just was like, it's just, it was an experience like no other. It just was in- incredible. And, um, and, but one week, uh, Kale, he was like, hey man, uh, just want to give you a heads up, there's a prostitute uh, coming tonight from Craigslist. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to have Bible studies with, with, with prostitutes while I'm in Bible college. This is in the rule book. And uh, you know the problem uh, with meeting prostitutes is you meet them and you realize they're human beings. And they have stories and wounds. Uh, And so she came and we would, honestly, we would just open up the teachings of Jesus. And and sometimes we would look at stories and parables. And I'll never forget the week that we looked at Jesus' teaching on forgiveness because um, she finally opened up and shared her story. Her name was Elaine. Um, And and we grew to really care about her um, because she shared why she was living the lifestyle that she was living. Um, She was actually previously married. And her husband had multiple affairs and left her and left her with all kinds of debt and heartache and heartbreak. And she was like, I don't even know how to, I don't know how to pay for food or rent or clothes. And she said, so I hopped on Craigslist and I started selling myself. And one week I went on and I made a connection with a John and I was getting ready to meet him. But before I, um, before I logged out, I went into the community section and I saw this Bible study. Uh, they called it, we, we called it God Group. And she said, I decided to come. And that was the, the last night. I was actually supposed to meet up with a guy later that night. And I came to Bible study and I started hearing the teachings of Jesus. And it started to transform my life. And what happened was she had this festering wound in her heart. The festering wound of unforgiveness. And it led to all kinds of areas and all kinds of destruction in her life. And so as we talk through a series like this, where we're looking at the seasons that we go through, um, we are going to be talking about this idea of, of forgiveness tonight, uh, this morning, and, and looking at what that looks like. And, and I want before we start, I actually want to give you a resource, um, because I think it's going to be incredibly helpful. We have a bunch of copies of it um, in, in our bookstore in the lobby. It's called The Freedom Factor. And uh, it's a book that I read about two years ago, and it walks through the process of forgiveness. Now, um, I don't know if you know this with books. Um, you get a book, and, and you don't, 
Um, you can cheat when you read a book. You don't have to read from, from beginning to end. Um, and this book is, is one of those where I think for, for a lot of you, it could be helpful to read the whole thing. But, but for everybody, it's helpful to read this. There's this middle section, chapters 6, 7, and 8, that walks through the forgiveness process. And it's a lot of the content that I'm going to be, um, be walking through today. And I just kind of want to encourage you in that. But, but what I want to look at is this idea of the infection spread of unforgiveness. And it's something that starts small and it grows and it spreads. And, uh, you know, stage one is just simply unforgiveness. Somebody wounds you. Um, it's their hurtful attitude, their actions. Um, and so you start to harbor ill will or feelings um, towards them. Uh, maybe you even say, you know what, it's not a big deal, forget about it, and you just kind of push it to the side rather than addressing and dealing with it. And, and these are some of the signs. You, you're ignoring it, or maybe you replay the wound over and over in your mind, or maybe you flat out, they try to apologize, but it, it feels shallow and it feels simple, and so you reject their apology. Or maybe they don't apologize, and so you, even in your mind, you pretend uh, you, you imagine rejecting their apology if they ever offer it. But, but it goes from unforgiveness and it moves towards anger and bitterness. It, it spreads to our emotions. And, and how we express these emotions is probably very different depending on who you are and your personality. For some of you, when you have anger, it comes explosive and, and, and it's big and it's antagonistic and it's hostile. But for others, your anger is quiet. It's small, it's withdrawal, it's callous, it's, it's a, lack of, a lack of trust. And so uh, some of the marks of this stage are uh, short temper and foul language. Um, some of the ways you talk about people, you're almost like a little bit surprised. You're like, man, there, there, there's a harshness that's coming out and I'm starting to experience it. Uh, you start to wall off others and guard your heart in these relationships. You get angry with others who speak well of the offender. Like, like somebody says something positive about them and you're like frustrated that they would even say something positive and you can't even handle being around. So you, you avoid the conversation, you avoid the text message, the interaction. Uh, then the infection, it, it spreads to our tongue and it moves to stage three, which is marked by slander and resentment. And you begin to actively defame or damage that person's reputation. Uh, you find yourself like that person gets brought up and you're like, and you just sh share these small, subtle little things that you want people to know about them. Or, 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 or you kind of mock the way that, that others talk about them. You, you volunteer information in order to cast that person in the worst possible light. Um, all their good traits are erased. You don't see those anymore. Um, you just see the hurts. You see the wound, you see the offense, you see how they act and respond, and, and, and you hate seeing anything good happen to them. Even they post pictures on social media, and they're like smiling, and you're, you just feel this anger and, and resentment inside. You're like, you don't even deserve to be happy. And then ultimately, what it spreads towards is actually hatred and vengeance. Um, the disease moves towards our actions. We find ourselves thinking about or imagining saying things or doing things that almost catch us off guard. You're like, that, that's not who I am. I would never do or say something like that, but, but you almost fantasize about ripping that person apart or doing something harmful just to get them back. You, you can't stand the thought or the sight of them. You have these emotional outbursts that you're, you don't even know where they come from at times. You wish evil on them. And you don't want anything good. See, this is what I need you to see. And what we have to understand is, is this, we experience this because we are infected and we are trapped by our unforgiveness. 
It, it festers and it grows. It's a toxic infection of our hearts. See, we, we, we're talking about all different seasons, all these different seasons that we go through. A season of unforgiveness, you know what's unique about it? It's the only one where you get to choose when it ends. And for many of us that are here today, we have unforgiveness in our hearts. And I want God to open up our hearts towards it. Somebody was sharing with me after the first service. They were like, yeah, I sat there and, and just listened and I just found myself praying. Lord, do I have anybody who I need to unforgive or who I need to forgive that I have unforgiveness in my heart towards? And because I couldn't think of anybody. And then he brought somebody to mind. I was like, oh, no, no, not, not them, <laughs> right? <laughs> I pray that God would open our hearts because as Lewis Smedes puts it, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Um, your unforgiveness, um, it's not damaging that other person. It's damaging you. It's like, it's like drinking poison and, and, and hoping somebody else suffers because of it. This is what happens is it festers. And thankfully, um, we can come to Jesus who is the great physician, who can offer us hope and he healing in all situations, including the cure for the infection of our hearts of unforgiveness. See, forgiveness is God's way to set us free from the torment and the infection that we're experiencing inward. And God wants and he expects us to forgive everyone of everything, every time. Now that sounds big. That sounds hard. And for some of you, that sounds impossible or even offensive. But let's look at the teachings of Jesus. Let's work our way through his parable and see what we can walk away with. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one around you. If you don't own a Bible, that is a gift to you. We want you to have God's word to be able to open and read and read the teachings of Jesus. Um, and if it's helpful, we're going to have this on the screen so you can follow along. But Matthew 18, starting verse 21, uh, Peter has a question for Jesus. Peter is one of the disciples. He's one of the followers of Jesus. And he says, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and then I forgive him? As many as seven times? See, Peter, he's being slick here. He thinks he's being like amazing um, because the, the common teaching of the day uh, by the rabbis of that day was if somebody sins against you, you forgive them. And then if they do it a second time, you forgive them. And then if they do it a third time, you forgive them. Up to three times for the same sin, you should forgive somebody. So Peter's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know what the you know, word is, but like seven, I'm like, I'm amazing, right, Jesus, right? That, and we know that. We know that from the original language. That's how Peter talked. He, he had a little, little attitude. Uh, with him. So uh, 22 says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Uh, the little translation there is 70 times seven. And, and Jesus is not making an argument so that you forgive someone 490 times, but that 491st, you're done with them. Um, he, he's saying a number, it, hey, it go, needs to go beyond counting that you forgive. And then, then he tells a story. Jesus would often teach in what's called parables. Because we can find ourselves in these stories. And whenever he teaches a parable, um, there's always a character that represents God. And there's always a character that represents us. And, and it's a teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one brought to him 
who, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, talent is roughly about 20 years of, of, of someone's pay. And so the idea here is it's millions of dollars. It, it's something he could never just earn to pay, to pay back. It's beyond his life. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother, from your heart. God, as we sit here today, we know this is a heavy topic. It's a topic and a call that feels so beyond our own strength. Some of us, we have wounds that have been festering for years, ones we don't even acknowledge anymore, ones we ignore. I pray in your grace that you would expose these and that through the power and the redeeming power of Jesus, you would allow us the grace and the courage to forgive, that you would start a process that would begin to set us free today. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I want to look at three elements of forgiveness that I think we, we, we can take away from this passage that are incredibly helpful. The first in this process of forgiveness is we actually need to open our heart to forgiveness. We got to open it up. We got to we got to expose it. See, forgiving is not just something we do in our head. Uh, okay, I think I forgive, and I'm supposed to do this, so I do it. It's not even something we just only do in our will. Okay, Jesus said it, so I'm just going to will myself to forgiveness. But the wound, our wounds, are not primarily wounds of the mind or the will. It's they're of the heart, and so it's in the heart. This is why he says, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And what do we do with our hearts when we've experienced wounds? We actually, we build walls around them. We, we guard ourselves. And this is what happens when we have unforgiveness. First, we build walls so that people don't hurt us. Hey, I've been hurt, so I'm guarded now against these other. Each new wound only causes us to fortify our walls thicker and thicker. And so we, we, we get guarded against individuals. And, and also our emotions, they start to shrivel. We don't feel things like we used to, and we, it keeps us from connecting with others on a, on a deeper level. 
We begin to even lose affection and meaningful attachment when we have unforgiveness in our heart. We, we lose emotional awareness. We don't even realize how we hurt other people because we're shut down and we're guarded and we're cold. Some of you, we look around and we're like, man, why don't I feel like I used to? It's because we're harboring unforgiveness in our hearts. We mistrust and misread people's actions and motives even when they're good. We're guarded. We're, we're leery of people. We, we always, we assume the worst because we've been hurt in the past. We're going to get hurt again. Uh, we, we develop deep feelings of insecurity and poor self-image because we fester and we just look at what's happened to us. And so we become insecure. Uh, we, we lose confidence. We have this negative image of ourselves and we cannot seem to connect with God. And we struggle with loneliness and isolation because we're so far removed. So we build these walls. And the problem of unforgiveness is not just a problem in the relationship against our offender. It begins to bleed over and affect every relationship around us. We don't trust people. We're leery. We're emotionally disconnected. We feel spiritually dry because we are walking and and just soaking in this state of unforgiveness. But but love is costly. It's hard. This is why C.S. Lewis says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. Isn't that true? If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid, Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. See, you know why I want you to open your heart to forgiveness? Because I want you to be set free of the trap that you've built. This prison that you've, these walls you've built around yourselves. Yet, no one can hurt you. But, but you're missing out on true intimacy. You're missing out on loving relationship and connection. See, you, it, true forgiveness, it takes courage. It really does. But it takes courage to believe God. Believe that God actually wants the best for you. He does. And to believe that God has called you to forgive. Therefore, to forgive is actually vital to living the full good, beautiful lives that God desires for us. And we've built these prisons and we're trapped. And the key to opening our heart is realizing this desire. Like, I want to be set free. Step one of forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person. It has everything to do with you and recognizing and realizing what it's doing to you. This is why Corey Ten Boom writes, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. So what is step one that we would, we would desire to walk in obedience of forgiveness in our own hearts? We would open our hearts to the process. And it's hard and it's painful. But it's the first step. The second is that we would extend compassion. And, and compassion towards our offender. Now, th- this, this feels radical right off the bat. But you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. You don't know how, how she treated me. I, and I don't. 
But, but Jesus does. And yet, Jesus can still call us to forgiveness. So, so how do we actually have compassion? Well, let me give you three possible motives that could spur compassion towards our offender. First, it can come as a reaction to their response. We see it here in this parable that Jesus says. It says, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. So it's a compassion that stems from their humility and their contrition in, the, in that moment. It can be brought about by somebody else's actions. And as a side note, when you've hurt or offended someone, this is why it's so important that you humbly apologize to them. It's not for your sake. It's actually for theirs. That, that they could soften their heart. That, that they would not live in resentment and unforgiveness. Okay, but here's the thing. That's, this is going to be more rare. Most of the time, if you have somebody in your mind right now or a situation in mind, the reason why you still harbor unforgiveness is because they're not contrite. They're not humble. They ignore it. They deny it. Or they don't even realize it. They've moved on, but you haven't. So what do we do in those moments? Well, we still need to have compassion. And, and there's a couple other factors. One of them, it, we can, one motive for compassion can be seeing the offender as a human being. Actually seeing them as human. It says in verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. It's, it's amazing that he actually released him from prison before he forgives him. See, extending compassion is not about excusing or minimizing what they've done to you. It's about separating this person from what they've done to you and having compassion on the person, not the sin. Having compassion on the individual, on not, not on the offense. To begin to see people as human. So uh, my son, he's... His name is Dax, and he's eight years old, and he's like really into chess right now. It's kind of this fun like thing that we, we get to share. Like so, uh, you know, he saw it in a movie, he wanted to learn, so we taught him chess, and then he just started playing. And he's like gotten like really good. And so, uh, my, I I grew up and my dad my dad's a big chess player. And so, you know, we were getting ready whenever we have holidays, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas. One of the things we do is we gather together as family and we you know play different chess games. And my dad always just destroys all of us because he's better than all of us. And and uh, and so uh, leading up to it, my son was like, oh, like I want to like pretend like I don't even know how to play and then they can teach me and then I'll you know and then he got there and he's like no I just want to play and so um so he he's playing this game with my dad and the first game it's like three moves over and then he was like okay now they, they they start playing and they're off at the table and and I'm I'm in the living room and I kind of hear what's happening and I'm like I'm like it just feels like this just feels like some tension you know like my dad my dad's not acting like he's playing against an eight-year-old he's acting like he's playing against communist Russia you know <laughs> what I'm saying and just the words and the tone. And so finally, I literally get up and I go sit at the table just to like be present, you know. Uh, and, you know, they get done and, you know, my dad, you know, beats Dax and it's over. And, and uh, you, know, he, you know, my dad looks at me and we have this conversation and, and he just is like, oh, he's really good. He's really smart. I was like, yeah, he is. He's also eight. <laughs> you can't talk to him that way. And my dad just completely oblivious, like, what, like, what, what are you talking about? Blah, blah. And he kind of actually gets frustrated and upset, and we have this conversation. And my dad ends up, this is Thanksgiving, 
My dad ends up going to my brother-in-law and say, what time is the turkey done? He says, four. He says, I'll be back then. So my dad leaves. Like, we're here for Thanksgiving. He just, like, leaves. Okay? Thank you for your compassion and that reaction, right? Okay? And so I sit down with Dax, and I'm like, hey, like, what happened? Like, what, like, like what was even going on? I didn't see. And he goes, oh, he goes, oh, well, Pop made a move, took his hand off, and then grabbed the piece and moved it back. And if you've played chess, you know your move is done as soon as you, like, as soon as you take that finger off. And I'm like, so what did you do? He's like, I called him out. <laughs> said, Pop, you took your hand off. I'm like, what did he say? say? And he said, he looked at me and he said, never mind you. And I'm like, Dax, how did that feel? And Dax, his, his little voice just starts to quiver. And he says, it felt a little harsh. Like, I don't know why Pop is mad at me. And I just look at him, and I just ask him, I just say, Dax, do I ever talk to you that way? And he goes, no. I said, Dax, you know why I never talk to you that way? I said, because my whole life, that's how my dad talked to me. Constantly harsh. And I felt exactly how you feel now. But I need to tell you something. My pop's dad was way more harsh. Never told him he loved him. He would beat him. He would yell at him. I met my grandpa once. We took a trip to Canada. I have a picture standing next to my grandpa. That was the one time I, met. I had no relationship. You know why? Because my dad hated his dad. I remember getting in the motorhome to drive away, and my dad sitting in the driver's seat. And he couldn't drive. He was weeping so hard. And so I'm sharing some of this stuff with my son. And I say, that's not okay that Pop talked to you that way. And I told him it's not okay. But let's, let's have some compassion on Pop. He said, okay. So the next day, Pop comes back and we have Thanksgiving. And next day, uh, we're getting ready to leave and we're at this table. And Pop has a chess set there. And Dax looks at Pop and he says, hey, Pop, you want to play chess? Pop says, sure. Dax goes over. They play chess. Dax kicks his freaking butt. Just whooped him. It was like the highlight of my parenthood, right? It was like hitting a three-pointer to win a game. It was amazing. And I looked at my dad. And I'm like, that's right. No, I didn't know. <laughs> and my dad and I, we celebrated. And it was this joyful moment. But look, we, I know this is hard to do. But I need you to know this. Like, your offender is a human being. And what they've done to you, what they've said to you, I'm not excusing it. It's not okay. But there's a reason for it. And it often stems from their own wounds. And they're repeating a cycle. And we need to be people who break cycles. One of the things I love about my dad is he broke the cycle from his dad. He didn't abuse us. He was harsh with us. But you know what? I'm breaking my dad's cycle of his harsh words. And part of the way I do it is by having compassion on him. But even in this, our ultimate, you know what our ultimate motivation has to be? Is understanding God's grace towards us. How can we extend compassion to others? Because we have, been, we have received compassion from Jesus. We have received his grace. C.S. Lewis says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. What this means is regardless of the situation, 
We do the act of extending compassion, sometimes in spite of the other person's lack of repentance. Because it's between us and the Lord. We extend compassion because the Lord has extended compassion towards us. And then when we've opened our heart and we've extended compassion on the person, not the sin, on the person, then we go and we forgive the person for each trespass, offense, mistake, and wound. It says, and out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I'm going to talk in a second here. I'm going to explain what forgiveness is. But, but first, I think it's important to explain what forgiveness is not. Uh, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiving is having the courage to actually name the offense, release the person from the hatred you have in your heart, and then actually forgiving them. We have a bit grave misunderstanding that has been passed on generation after generation, and a phrase of forgiving is forgetting. It is not. Second, forgiveness is not denying or diminishing sin that is committed against us. When we say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, or it didn't really happen, um, that actually is the first step of unforgiveness. Rather than acknowledging the reality of what has been committed against us. And so forgiveness is not denying or diminishing. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Now, this is hard and this is huge. This is vital for us to understand. Um, see, forgiveness is a one-sided requirement. You know, who, it only takes you to forgive. But reconciliation takes forgiveness and repentance. The offender has to repent. And then maybe you can start to rebuild trust. Forgiveness does not always equal reconciliation. Sometimes one of the most important things you can do is say, this is not a toxic person that I'm going to continue to be around. There's a proverb that says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And you don't have to be there when they do. Not reconciling does not mean you have not forgiven that person. Look, um, if you've been abused, you may never have reconciliation with that person in this life. Jesus calls you to forgive them, but not to continue to stay in relationship with them. And lastly, forgiveness is not neglecting justice. In fact, um, if a crime is being committed against you, you can simultaneously forgive and call the cops. Forgiveness is understanding that justice is the Lord's, not yours. But it's okay. And it's good and it's right that people should face the consequences of their sins. And maybe them facing the consequences of their sins is what prevents them from hurting others in that way. But, and also opens the pathway for them experiencing hope and healing. So that's what forgiveness is not. But what does it mean to forgive? It means to grant pardon for an offense. It means to give up all claim to holding someone's actions against them. It means to cease to feel resentment against someone for what they've done. It means to cancel the debt owed. And in order to do this, we need honesty and specificity. You actually have to go through 
and name each and every offense and then forgive them for it one by one. Um, I went through this process a couple years ago. I had a deep wound of betrayal from a friend. And the more I was honest with myself, the more I realized, like, and I looked at the way I lacked trust of others. I was like, man, I'm harboring unforgiveness. This is somebody who never repented, never, never walked through that process. And I remember I, I drove to a coffee shop out in Sandy because I was like, I'm going to go somewhere where no one is going to be around me. Nobody's going to interrupt. Nobody's going to know me. And I walked through this process of literally write a whole piece of paper writing every single wound that I experienced. Sometimes you'll realize that there's one action that has all these branches to it. It may be one action, but it has all kinds of wounds from it. And then one by one, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I sat and I just prayed simply over and over, Lord, from my heart, I genuinely forgive blank. You just say their name for the wound of blank, and then you describe it. And you, you, you ask God to help you forgive each and every offense, trespass, mistake, and wound. That's what forgiveness means. We open our hearts. We extend compassion to the person. And then we actually forgive the sin, the sin. And how do you know? How do you know when you've forgiven someone? First, you experience personal freedom from the burden of unforgiveness. You experience a different level of freedom internally. And then you genuinely wish God's goodness and blessing on the offender's life. You want them to experience God's justice and goodness and grace. See, the source of all of this for us followers of Jesus is Jesus' life. That at the end of his life, when he was going to the cross, that he was beaten, he was mocked, he was stripped naked, he was spit upon. They poured vinegar in his cracked, bleeding mouth as he cried out for water. And you know what Jesus said to his father? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It wasn't later. It wasn't after they realized what they'd done in the moment. And what's so incredible about that to me is Jesus crying out to the Father to forgive as they have to sit there and watch, as the Father sits there and watches his son be beaten and mocked and ridiculed. And that's what Jesus asks, and that is our source. I, I quoted Corey Tenboom earlier, and she, her story is incredible. Her and her sister, they lived in Holland during World War II. And they, when the Nazis would come around and round up the Jews, her and her sister started hiding them. But they got caught. And so Corey, um, she was thrown into one of the concentration camps, just like the Jews that were being rounded up. And uh, about a week before all the women her age were killed, there was a clerical error. And for some reason, uh, they released Corey. It was the wrong name, the wrong location, and they released her. Wrong number. And they released her. Uh, her sister died. And she spent the rest of her life traveling around the world, sharing the story and the power of God's forgiveness. And there's one story she recounts in particular, and I just want to read it to you. She says, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. 
People were filing out from the basement where I had just spoken. It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes on the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from you, from your lips as well. Fraulein, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? As I stood there, I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, I could not forgive him. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still, I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started up my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, my brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Jesus, the, the power to forgive comes from you and you alone. There are so many of us in this room, we are, we are trapped in our unforgiveness. We don't know how. We've, 
we've buried it, we've shoved it aside. But Jesus, we want to be free. Free from this toxic poison that rules and reigns in our hearts. And we want to walk in obedience to you. And so Jesus, would today be the beginning of a journey for many of us? A journey of forgiveness. Would you open our hearts to forgive? Would you extend compassion towards those who have wounded us? And would you give us the courage and the power and the strength to forgive every offense, every wound, every hurt? And when we do so, Lord, would it bring you great joy and much glory? We pray this in your name. Amen.